0: Uh, Father, we come now to hear from your word. You have, you have spoken. That's something we believe. And uh, if you have spoken, we should listen. And I pray that you would speak to us now uh, in each of our individual situations, in each of our families, in our hearts, that you would direct us um, as we hear from your word what we should do. Help me to be faithful in teaching it. And may you move among us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, last week Daniel got us started on a series in the parables. He walked us through the parable of the sower, and we saw each of the soils represented a different response to the word of God. And he set a really great ground rule that I want to pick up this week as we look at another parable. And his rule was you have to hear the parable for yourself, not for your neighbor or your spouse or a friend, or somebody else. So, so that's, that's going to be our rule again this morning. I am not hearing this parable for you, and you're not hearing this parable for me. You're hearing it for yourself and, and nobody else. Uh, we're going to pick up a parable of Jesus. One of the things we want to do with these parables is teach some parables that you probably haven't heard taught that much. There are some parables you hear a lot, and some you don't hear as much. Um, I'm going to share with you a parable that I think I've only heard taught once in my life, and it's a, it's a warning parable from Jesus. Have you ever noticed that we live in a society full of warnings? Uh, One day I decided I was going to observe every warning that I came across throughout my day, and it started with my shampoo. (laughs) My shampoo and the other products, uh, I don't use a lot of products in the morning, but the products that I use, they all come with warnings, and they basically just say this, don't eat it or put it in your eyes. That's the warning on your shampoo. I got in my car to drive my daughter to school, and and above my head, there was a warning about putting your kid's car seat in the front seat and how that's a dangerous thing to do. I drove down the street, and there's this huge power station, and it's just covered in warnings. If you cross this fence, you will get electrocuted. (laughs) After that, we passed the Seven Stones Botanical Cemetery. There was no official warning on that, but it sort of felt like they were saying, drive safe, or you'll join us here. I came to work, and I was warned I'm under 24-hour surveillance. And the the coffee maker is hot, and my coffee is hot. I went home, and and there was a can of paint, and it warned me that I could get cancer from this can of paint. I took a Tylenol, another warning. Uh, We have an electrical project going on at home, and I was reminded again, you can get electrocuted and die. All of these warnings all around us. We have a society full of warnings. Well, today I want to add another one to your list. And I think it's an interesting one because it's a warning that you will never hear in our society, of all the millions of warnings that we have. It's a warning that Jesus gives us in a parable, and one that I think is vital for us. Today we're going to be looking at a parable from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. So you can flip there or turn there, however you get there for yourself. You can also follow along. On the screen. And this is what it says Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, warning. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, and who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores of things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. This is God's word for us this morning. And if we honestly wrestle with it and try and understand what it says, it's really a sobering warning for us. For me, because again, I'm not. This is not a parable for you. It's for me. Before we dive in, we need to do a little bit of work so that we can really hear it and understand it. Jesus gives us a warning here about an abundance of possessions, about greed, and about how we handle being rich. So obviously, the first question should be: Does this warning apply to us? You know, for my myself, I, I really don't feel rich. You know, my family, we just have all the normal stuff. We have food and water and sanitary bathroom facilities. We have a house, two cars, you know, some, some extra income. We have heating and air conditioning. We're occasionally able to, to take a vacation. If a medical situation came up, you know, we would be able to afford to pay the deductibles or whatever's needed for that. And we could have access, you know, to any medical advancement in the history of the world at a moment's notice. Just the normal stuff. If there was an extended family emergency, we could get on an airplane, which is a flying machine, and travel anywhere in the country within a day. You know, we just have all the normal stuff. And the fact that none of those things seem wildly unreasonable to many of us here shows just how amazingly rich we are. Much of the developing world has little or no access to any of these things, let alone the money to utilize them. Several years ago, we had the Occupy Wall Street movement. Do people remember that? And it was a protest against the 1%. It was the people with the vast majority of resources who only made up 1% of the population. But if, if you take it on a global scale... An American with an income of $32,400 is actually in the 1%. American teachers are 1%ers, globally speaking. Police officers, 1%. Nurses, 1%. People working in the trades, they're in the 1%. Pastors, 1%. So is, is Jesus' parable for us absolutely by any measure globally or historically we i am fabulously wealthy so this parable is a warning for me and it's a warning for you now that we've we've clarified that let's see what the passage actually says let's see what's going on jesus is surrounded by a crowd of thousands of people around him listening to him teach and he's been speaking directly to his disciples but the crowd is kind of overhearing what's going on. And then all of a sudden, someone from the crowd comes forward, who's probably not a disciple, and asks Jesus for help with a money problem. Luke 12, 13 says this, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Someone takes the opportunity, this is pretty normal, to ask the rabbi to, you know, uh, settle a dispute here. Apparently he's not getting the money that he felt like he deserved, and so, get this, he goes to Jesus, who is in the middle of teaching about the kingdom of God, and he asks him to settle a money problem. Essentially, this man is saying, Jesus, tell my brother to give me what I think I deserve or what I need, the possessions, the money, the assets, whatever it was. Anyone here ever been in an inheritance dispute? Yeah? I haven't personally yet, but um, I have observed a lot of people go through this, and uh, you would think that people respond to the passing of a loved one by mending fences, by taking stock in life choices, by appreciating the brevity of life, and not get caught up in money disputes. Is that what happens? No, that is not what happens. For every probably one kind of normal inheritance settling that I've heard of, I've I've probably heard of 10 that went horribly wrong. Why is that? Jesus tells us why. He responds to the man by saying, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He says, warning, watch out for greed, for your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. This is true in all of our lives, not just in inheritance disputes, although we can see it pretty clearly in those moments. Jesus warns us about wealth and possessions, and he drives home the point by telling us a parable about a man who became fabulously wealthy. Before we look at the story, though, I want to say one last thing, um, because I think, I think it's important. I love that we are a church where people who don't yet know Jesus feel welcomed. I love that we're a church where um, some of you, I know, have been following Jesus for five, six decades, and that's such an encouragement to me when I, I face the challenges of life and marriage and parenting, and, but there is hope. There is another side to this. Um, I also love that we have some people who have been following Jesus for five minutes, brand new. And we have some people who are here who are not sure where they stand yet with Jesus. And that's a wonderful thing. I love that we have all of that here. Uh, But I would say I know that when money is talked about in a church, it can sound self-serving and it can make people feel really uncomfortable. And so before we dive into this parable, I just want to say there's no, like, hidden agenda here. There's no, the offering was already taken, so there's not, like, a surprise. There's another offering <laughs> after this. <laughs> this is not an appeal for money. It's actually, I just, I just want us to hear and listen to and consider Jesus' perspective on money and possessions. So with that said, um, let's dive in. Jesus tells us this story, and in it we see two dangers of money, of greed, and possessions. We read, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. We see someone in an agrarian society who strikes it rich. And this happened through a great harvest season, apparently more than was expected, more than had ever been experienced before, and he's totally unprepared for all of the wealth that came his way. And in his response... We see the first danger of money. Verse 17 says, He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. We have three verses there. And if you'll notice, there are six references to I, four references to my or myself, and zero references to God or anyone else. Here we see the first danger of money that Jesus shows us it's the danger of me. Money can cause us to focus only on ourselves and to miss the needs of others. The problem is not the amount of wealth that he had, but how he was using it. This great harvest could have been a blessing to the entire community. The hungry could have been fed, the poor clothed and cared for, the oppressed freed, but instead he builds his savings account, his barns, and he enjoys a carefree retirement for a little while, for a day. But we'll come back to that. He says to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. If he had a longer life, who knows what he might, may have done. He could have taken a, a donkey tour through Jerusalem and maybe down to Egypt. He could have built a home on the Mediterranean. He could have gotten a garage full of high-performance camels. A closet full of designer cloaks and tunics. Row upon row of different colored sandals, different style sandals. I, I don't know what you, would, what you would do with your footwear there, but I'm obviously joking. But you see the point, right? He wanted to make life all about him, and so he's all alone. It's the danger of me. If we are not careful, money can insulate us from the need for others and from the needs of others. Me, 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 I, I. I. There's, there's one other danger in the story, and unfortunately it's much worse. It's the danger of now. He says, this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grains. He builds the ancient equivalent of a savings account because he's blind to the true nature of reality. He wants to maximize pleasure and minimize pain right now, because this life is all there is, and so enjoy it. There's just uh, there's just one kind of big problem with that approach; uh, it doesn't match reality. And at this point, a second character is introduced into the parable. We read in verse twenty, but God said to him, "You fool! This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself?" God calls the rich man a fool. Not because he had wealth, but because the way he used his wealth showed that he did not understand reality. He set up this perfect life now, ignorant of the fact that his life would be demanded from him that very night. He prepared a massive stockpile for himself, but it went to others. The phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, is very accurate, except it exaggerates the amount of time he has. He won't die tomorrow, he'll die tonight. This is a very challenging story, and and it's a a story that Jesus tells to his disciples and to the crowd. And we actually see both of these dangers playing out in the man who comes to talk to Jesus. Jesus. Notice again in verse 13, it says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He wants more money than he's going to get, and he's focused on himself and getting what he wants. And who is he worried about? Me. He's also living in the now. His reality is wrapped up in the fact that there's an inheritance that he wants, and he wants to get it. Let's stop and think for a second about who he's talking to. He is standing in front of the God of the universe who spoke all of creation into existence, the Bible tells us. Who has authority, the disciples saw, over the wind and the waves. The one who will one day reconcile all things to himself. Who's on his way to the cross to die, to defeat Satan's sin and death. Who's teaching about the kingdom of God, the realest reality, and he misses it. Because he's worried about money and his inheritance. Friends, money and possessions are spiritually dangerous if we are not careful in how we use them. Jesus says, Warning, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Thankfully, the story doesn't end there. That'd be a bit pretty depressing end to the story. Uh, Jesus gives us some very practical thoughts right after this parable but we read at the end of the parable, Jesus says this. This is how it will be, all the things that happen with a rich man, with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. If we want to avoid the dangers of money, we need to learn to be rich, but not just any kind of rich. Jesus calls us to be rich toward God and immediately um, he turns from talking to the man and the crowd to speaking to his disciples. So if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, you know, these are Jesus' words being spoken towards you as well. So we read this in the next verse. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or your body, what you will wear, For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grasses of the field, which are here today and thrown and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. That's what the rich man was doing. He was setting his heart on what he would eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Jesus calls us not to worry, and in a moment he says, do not be afraid. Why is he saying this on the heels of a parable about a rich fool? What does this have to do with someone who hoarded resources, I think Jesus is pointing out that we often seek security and safety in our resources and what we own. I need a certain amount of money in the bank or a certain lifestyle because if I don't, I will live in fear that I might not have enough, that I might go hungry, that I might not have the clothing that I need, that I might not have what I think I need in life. Notice that money and possessions get me thinking about who? Me. Jesus says, don't worry about yourself. Don't focus on yourself. You have a heavenly father who takes care of silly things like birds and grasses. How much more valuable are you? He says, God will take care of you. Jesus says to seek his kingdom, to live the life that he offers, to know God's work in your life and his purposes in the world, and he will take care of you. I I know that's hard to believe and just kind of first repenter here. Um, I I often don't believe that. I, I often believe I have to figure it out. I have to make it happen because God won't. But he promises that he will care for our needs. And that's the first way that we can be rich toward God to seek his kingdom and the freedom that he offers us from the fear of a lack of money and possessions. He finishes the section by encouraging us in a second way to be rich. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. I love that language. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom and then he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second way to be rich towards God, Jesus says, is by giving to those in need. This keeps us from the trap of now. This life is not all there is. Jesus makes it clear when he says, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. He's saying that the resources that we have, if they're just used here and now for me, will die with me, or at least I, I can't take them with me. If they were like a purse, they would wear out, or like possessions in a home, a thief could break in and steal them, Or if they were like fine clothing, a moth could eat them. But when we use our resources to seek God's kingdom first, to live generously as representatives of Jesus, in some mysterious way, we invest them in a way that pays eternal dividends. So he says, give to those in need. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, that's kind of... Tricky to figure out what that looks like. What is what is he exactly saying there? Um, I, I think it's helpful to look at First Timothy chapter six, where he, where Paul gives Timothy a little bit more detail around the same idea. He says this: Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may, I love this, take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul says here that wealth is uncertain. It is an insecure place to invest your hope. It will fail you. I mean, early 1929, people, they they felt so secure in a booming stock market. Did money fail them? Absolutely. In 2006, everyone who owned a home or invested in a house felt secure with their increasing wealth and home equity. Did money fail them? Absolutely. In 2008, everyone who invested funds with Bernie Madoff felt secure with their their investment gains. Did money fail them? Absolutely. And if history is any guide, there will be other moments, possibly soon, that will remind us how weak money is as a source of security. Instead, Paul says, put your hope in God. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share when you see someone in need and you have more than enough, share with them. He says, in this way, you will lay up treasures, uh, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, now if we had the time, we could get more in depth around the, you know, the issue of poverty and how to use wisdom and generosity because that, that's important or how to alleviate real needs in people's lives without kind of enabling or, or actually hurting more than, than you're helping. There's a, there's a lot we could say there. We, we really don't have time. I, I would say this, though. I think it's clear that we are called to live in such a way that demonstrates that our possessions are not our life, that our security is not found in our stuff. And when we see needs, we're called to pray Be wise and be generous. So there you have it. We're all rich fools. We need to stop worrying, stop being afraid, and be generous. So we're done. No. (laughs) No, there's there's, uh, another thing that, that we need to look at, and it's the question of how. How do we do this? Honestly, I can't do this in myself, by myself, How do we break the grip of money and possessions in our lives? How do we avoid worry about even practical things like food and clothing, about what we'll eat and drink? And I think the answer is uh, it's, it's all about an inheritance. We need to understand, you and I, the abundance of our inheritance. And our inheritance is much better than anything that money could buy, any amount of money that we could stockpile. You notice that it says that God feeds the birds and God takes care of the grasses, but who takes care of you? Your father. Don't worry, you have a father, a perfect father who cares for you. He says, Little flock about us. It's a picture of care and protection and the love of a shepherd. And he says, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's inheritance language. Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins, to transfer us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He promises to be with you through every trial. He promises to meet your every need, to guide you and give you peace to give you a home with him forever. That is your inheritance. And the only way to avoid the dangers and temptations of earthly wealth and possessions is to be rich, to be truly rich, by living in the wealth of our inheritance. So what does this parable mean for you practically? What does it look like in your life How should you respond? I have no idea. I I haven't been thinking about you. This parable isn't for you. It's for me. As I said, we need to hear these parables for ourselves and wrestle with what God is calling us to do. I find it interesting that throughout Scripture, uh, Jesus actually deals very individually with people around money and possessions. A little bit later in the book of Luke, he tells a rich young ruler... He says, how, must, how can I inherit eternal life? He says, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. In the very next chapter in the book of Luke, Jesus encounters a, a greedy tax collector, and he doesn't tell him to do anything with his wealth at the beginning, but then commends him when he gives half of it away. What, how do you deal with that? I, I have no idea. There are other examples in Scripture where someone is mentioned as a follower of Jesus who's wealthy, and then nothing else is said about it. I think uh, we all have to wrestle with what this parable means for us. What is Jesus calling us to do in response? And the key to applying this parable, I think, is found in the last verse. It says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasure reveals our hearts because our hearts follow our treasures. You love what you invest in, and so do I. If your use of resources is like the rich fool, using them only on me and only now, your heart will be with your stuff and you will be focused on yourself. And so will I. And you will live in fear and worry because those things are not secure. I'd encourage you, wrestle with this story, this parable, read it, examine it, and examine where you're ultimately placing your hope. Now, my great concern with uh, sharing this parable this morning is, is that we'll, uh, we'll do what you should never do with a warning, and that's to hear it, ignore it, and do the opposite. I saw this play out in a memorable way once. Uh, my wife Laura and I were in Europe, and we took an overnight bus from Istanbul, Turkey, to Athens, Greece. Uh, I don't recommend that. It was a cheap way to get between the two. It was cheaper than flying, but I'm a very tall person in a cramped bus for 16 hours. It was not a fun experience, but when we got to the border of Greece, uh, they had to do all the paperwork for people who, you know, this whole bus of people shows up. It takes a little bit of time to process everyone's documents, and uh, I noticed immediately that everyone was rushing towards this store. Anyone guess what that store was? The duty-free store. I guess that it's very important. Um, and what, what they were actually doing is rushing to buy tax-free cigarettes because I mean, there's a high tax in cigarettes, so you can get these cigarettes there uh, without tax. What was most striking to me, though, was the, the packs had these like, really intense warnings on them. They're, like big letters and then like, really graphic pictures. But they said things like, warning, smoking clogs your arteries. Then they had some like vanity ones, like smoking will make you ugly. Which, I was like, if they can't get you with the health stuff, they'll try, and try another angle. Uh, smoking causes blindness, causes mouth and throat cancer, causes fatal lung cancer. One said, smoking can cause a slow and painful death. And people just kept grabbing for him, just ignoring the warnings. And my fear today is that we hear the warning about the dangers of greed and possessions and and wealth, we hear Jesus warning, "Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, and we just keep grabbing for more. Friends, there is only one way to be truly rich: to loosen the grip of stuff in our lives. You and I will never be able to heed the warnings about money or possessions or comfort or self-absorption until we have a greater treasure. Until we see Jesus as our great treasure and the life he offers as the good life. Or how Paul put it to Timothy, the life that is truly life. So questions for you. Are you rich towards God or are you just rich? Are you spiritually wealthy or are you bankrupt? Friends, treasure Jesus and use treasures. And as Daniel said last week, the one who has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's pray. Uh, Father, uh, you know my own heart and my own wrestling with this parable, uh, that this is something I need to hear and consider. And uh, I pray that you would guide me and guide all of us into treasuring Jesus and all that you've done for us, the inheritance that you give us, and that that would put everything else in perspective, that we could be a generous people. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.